two warnings before we kick off tonight. One from the narrator and one from me. Uh, one, the first one from the narrator there, if you see it there in chapter 2, verse 1, is we just, we're, we're, we're sort of in the middle of the story, really. Like, I mean, the chapters are a bit artificial. But the story starts with an aside. What Number one warning, there's a man in the house. A real man who's related to Elimelech and yet is strangely still alive. <laughs> Right? is an interesting guy, a man of standing in some translation, a worthy man in others, literally a mighty man. Now, this is the same words that is used for King David's legendary mighty men, his commando trusted companions. And that man's name is Boaz. Right? There's a man in the house. That's all you need to know for now, says the author. Just wanted to slide that in there. And then we'll get back to the story. Now, warning number two is that there are some hints of shade in the story. Do you remember how um, the story started in chapter 1, in the days of the judges? That, that should send your mind back to the times when men did what was right in their own eyes, and those things were mostly very, very bad, if you weren't aware of that. Now, this picture, um, uh, the, the, this sort of, um, the, the image that's meant to sort of bring up for you, and, and one that you should have in the back of your heads as we go through this story, is that there's an incident in Judges from exactly this time period when an Israelite man is, goes through his town and he sees some people in the city square, uh, a Levite and his girlfriend. Um, Levites shouldn't be having girlfriends, but that's not, that's not the point. Um, and, uh, and, he, and he says, you guys, like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, we're just going to stay the night in the square. You know, we're in Israel. We're in God's place. Like, we're, we're okay. And he's like, no. No, 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 no. You, you're coming to my house. They're like, oh, no, it's okay. He's like, no, 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 no. You, you're not safe here. And in fact, they ended up not even being safe there at his house, and even the old man himself not being safe there either. Uh, and the author manages to, to paint that whole picture and to give you that background, this background of actual, like, like, a, like a jeweler, you know how they like to sort of, like the, those useless little things they call diamonds that are so important for engagements, um, and like they always give you like a black pillow to put it on top of, the black darkness for the light to sort of, the light of the, of the diamond to shine sort of off the background of. The author manages to do that, to paint this black backdrop in Ruth with four Hebrew words. Oh, that was in the days of the judges. So, warning number one, there's a man in the house. Warning number two, hints of some dark and light here, some shade. Now, that may have started you off thinking, oh, this is going to be sort of like one of those, oh, Sorry, I got, I got a bit ill this afternoon and didn't get home, so I didn't get the, um, the, the PG and MA sort of images up. But you might be thinking this is going to be one of those MA sections of the Bible um, as you're reading through that and, and get yourself geared up to explain a few things to the kids because Coots didn't censor it quite enough. Or, uh, but so far in chapter 1, it was really quite wholesome, wasn't it? It, it, it wasn't a story. Like in the days of the judges, precedes things that actually you probably didn't believe were in the Bible, but... Actually, the story was, was probably like, probably was PG for the off-screen deaths of Elimelech and the boys, but, but far from the graphic gore of the judges' stories, like this Ruth story is, it's, it's resistant. It's like, you know, that, have you ever seen that water-resistant, like this, they spray this water, sort of water-phobic stuff onto materials, and then you pour the water on it, and the water just like just jumps off it kind of thing? Ruth is like that. It's like, it's like darkness-resistant. There's all this darkness in the background, and yet somehow it's just, it manages to stay wholesome, even with a shady backdrop. So it's probably not going to, but, but, but there's this threat in the background for the first-time reader that it might go all Breaking Bad rather than uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. 
So now, chapter two, let's dig. To start with, Ruth takes the initiative. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth wants to glean in the field. Now, what exactly is Ruth up to? Because you think, what have the eyes of, of, of men been doing in this time period? Bad things generally. Well, what found favor? Uh, and so you're sort of wondering, well, she, what's she going to do? Like, if you've got that judge's background, you think, is Ruth going to compromise herself? Is she going to compromise her character in order to secure food for herself and Naomi? The attentive reader would wonder that if you're a Hebrew and you knew the times. Now, well, let's see. What exactly is this gleaning that she's proposing to do? Gleaning, this concept, it, it all comes from Yahweh. It comes from God. See, when the God of Israel set up his nation, he wanted it to be the kind of place where vulnerable people, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, would be able to get by. Right? Uh, so it goes so far as to say that there shall be no poor among you if you follow these rules. So God invented a kind of work for the Dole program. Right? So farmers had to leave some margin be deliberately economically inefficient, right? You weren't supposed to harvest right up to the edge of the field. You had to leave a margin. You had to leave a bit. And the bits that you had harvested, you can't, you can't send everyone back to sort of do a second run and pick up the sort of, you know, 20% or 10% or whatever it is that you could just sort of grab up. You, you, you weren't allowed to do that. You had to leave it there. Just in case there was a widow, an orphan, or a foreigner who needed it. Now, I want you to think about that practically. There probably quite often wasn't one. But you had to do it anyway. We should. But imagine, imagine, imagine being, maybe you're in a part where there's part of Israel, we're right in the middle of Israel, not many foreigners, and you know, maybe you know, marriages are all pretty good, not many, not many widows, <laughs> healthcare's great. Probably not in Israel, but anyway. And you don't get so many, and you're gone for 20 years just leaving food on the ground. How long would you do it for before you decide, come on, let's just go get the extra bits? Just throwing, throwing stuff away. In deliberate inefficiency. You really have to trust that God will bless you for obeying him by doing the inefficient thing. Now, if an orphan, widow, foreigner, or the like was willing to, they were allowed to glean these leftovers, which means that if Israel has got godly farmers, farmers who are willing to trust God that they're going to have enough of themselves, even if they leave a bunch of it on the land, and if the poor person is willing to work, no one's going to go hungry in Israel. That's what the system's designed to produce. Now, it's not bad in principle, is it? That's something good and even honorable for the working party. To, to, to work to get it, but still be generous. Like, there's something kind of beautiful about it. It requires some sacrifice and work, dignity still from the worker. But it's inefficient. It's, very, it's tough, tough to build into your culture. Doesn't sound like 20, 21st century, at least. And so that's, I think, one of the things that we've got to deal with. We, we're not very good at leaving margin. We're not very good at leaving time and space in our schedule. Like, uh, how many people do you know who have decided not to be busy so they're not? I just don't know how many of those people I know. It's pretty small. In, in Tasmania, I don't know that many people yet, but I can count them on one hand. How do you go at leaving margin in life? Because if you don't have margin, you can't give out to anyone unexpectedly. You can't do it. You don't have the capacity. You've got no margin. 
is it built into your habits? Your, what are your habits of time? The habits of your cash flow situation? Like, this is a command in the Old Testament. And in fact, it's actually, there is a command like this in the New Testament as well, you know. In fact, it feels a bit stronger. In Ephesians 4, 28, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those who are in need. Now, the point is not that you guys have been stealing. The point is, the point is that the purpose of work is so that you will have margin with which to be generous. Now, look, some of us here are going to have far more capacity to leave margin than others. I get that. Some of you might be the, the, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the, 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 the vulnerable, and be joyfully provided for by the, by the family. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing. But it's the spirit that's important here, the heart, the sacrificial willingness to trust that God is going to be enough for you. He will provide, even if I leave some margin. Worth the thought. All right. Um, I, 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 I think I find this. I, I think I've, 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 I find this hard when I walk around the town, and because I've moved to like uh, the phone to pay for stuff, I don't have change on me at all. And so you got some some bloke or some lady sitting there, and, and they're they're doing it a bit rough, and I don't have any change for them, but I should. And you're like, but oh, but you just don't naturally have any. It's like, yeah, I know, but I should I should deliberately cash out to get some, so I've got some on me for when I see them. It should be planned margin, like the farmers had to do. And I know there might be there might be a little part of you that might be thinking, look, they're just going to spend it on alcohol and drugs, and so well, okay, we'll just take them out for a meal, invest some of your time margin as well as some of your money margin in them. But even if it is inefficient in some way, and even if all you can do is just offer some cash, you're not sure how productively they're going to use it. Oh, remember that was. <laughs> The system's deliberately inefficient, remember? And it'll change you to do the offering. Uh, busyness is a, is a bit of a killer. Um, John Ortberg wrote of a conversation with um, uh, Dallas Willard. And he, he asked Dallas, who's a bit of a guru for him, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Uh, and after a long pause, Dallas says, Assuming Dallas knowing, knowing John particularly, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's a, I feel like that's a wow sentence. And John did too. He took it very seriously. So he, he wrote it down. He wrote the words down. And, 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 and then he says, to him, man, that's, whew, that's a good one. <laughs> what, what else have you got? What, el what else is there? What's next? And Dallas says to him, there is nothing else. There's something about deliberate, planned inefficiency to the glory of God, relying on trusting in God that changes our trust in Him, that breeds trust in Him. There, there was a, uh, somehow I got this at some point for a little period of my life. And um, in exams uh, at uni, I used to pray in the perusal time instead of opening the booklet. And then I, and I just, I don't know, I'm not going to use this extra perusal time to, to sort of get to know the thing. Probably just going to generate worry anyway. And then when I was like, okay, start now. And I wanted to open up. I was like, no, no I'm going to, especially when I wanted to, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to spend more time praying. And I wasn't praying. And I, and I also enforced myself, I can't, I'm not allowed to pray for the exam. <laughs> now, of course, 
need to be praying other times as well. But, but, but there's just, it's not, and that was, it's not, it's not like that was going to make me do any better in the exam. What it was going to be, but there was just something about that. That that moment, I knew my heart because of its sin in it. It needed it at that moment to worship something other than the exam and what it was doing and the marks and the and the sense of oh, I'm so awesome that those results would give me. Although that was the law portion of my degree, so the results did not give me that boost anyway. Um, and look, you know, maybe the prayer didn't help with that, or maybe that didn't change it at all. But either way, I'm convinced that even if the marks were lowered because of it, that me as a human, I'm far better off for having done that. Now, moving on, moving on. Um, as for Naomi, she's the one with the contacts here, right? She is the, the, the mother in the situation, but she doesn't work the contacts. Did you notice that? She knows about Boaz. Of course, it's like her rally. But she doesn't mention Boaz to Ruth. When Ruth says, oh, I'm going to go glean the field, she says, yeah, sure, go for it. She's the one who knows the language. She knows the people. But Ruth is the one who's working and taking care of her. Look, Naomi's probably not even very old. Ruth's probably, I'm guessing Ruth's young. She's definitely a young woman, maybe 20 max. Uh, Naomi's probably 50 max. And at the very least, it'd be safer for them to go out and walk around the fields and maybe, you know, maybe Naomi might spot someone she knows she can trust and just sit on the side while Ruth does the work. But Right now in the story, as you see it, Naomi's kind of got the vibe of like eating ice cream in front of daytime TV, you know? And it's, 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 it's like, ooh, gee. But Ruth goes out. Now, as Ruth goes out, there's one big barley field that sort of seems like, and it, it's just sort of owned by different farmers, the different patches of it. And Ruth just happens, chances, to come across part of the field that is owned by, you guessed it, Boaz. But thanks to Naomi, she doesn't even know that. She doesn't even know who Boaz is. But she still gets amongst it, and she starts working hard. Now, partway through the day, Boaz rocks up. You have to read this story a few times afterwards just to get how every single word does something. He comes from Bethlehem. It's so pointed. Everything that Elimelech did wrong, Boaz did right. He stayed in Bethlehem even when the ha- Bethlehem, the house of bread, was empty of bread, trusted God when it looked foolish to do so. Like this guy's God is so big, so strong and so mighty that the way that this guy acts is if there's nothing his God cannot do. In a way, and in a way reminiscent of Naomi with Ruth and Orpah, God is the center of his exchanges and, and, and greetings with his people. He rocks up to his young men who are, who, are, who are doing all the work. Lord, be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you back to him. And so when he rocks up to the field that day, he notices this young girl. And he says to his young men, they're just the female and male version. They're both, they're both kids. Like, to, him, to him, he's obviously an older guy. And these are like just kids to him. Yeah, if you, ever, if you ever hear someone refer to you, to you as young lady, you know, you can sort of assume there's an age gap between you and the person saying it. And I say that, I want you to notice that, because but you, you need to see here that Boaz is not thinking of her as a prospective partner. Like, he's not a desperate old bachelor sort of sniping on the young, hot girl, using money to try and draw her in. That's not the way he behaves through this passage. He, he's, a, he's a man who sees a vulnerable girl and he's like, okay, who's her dad? Did you notice that was the question that he asked? Whose young girl is this? Who's her dad? We've got to make sure she's okay. 
Now, the young man who he asks, he's pretty factual, but he does give away his bias. Did you notice there? Again, the words are just, the words just so subtle, but so there. Oh, she's that Moabite test. You know the one who came from Moab with Naomi? Ruth is not only seen as dodgy by him, but the story also uses that little bit to remind us that, that Ruth is a picture of everything that his cousin Elimelech did wrong including that he, Boaz, for trusting in God, is now sitting pretty, and she's begging, and a widow. Now, Boaz has every reason to feel and act superior in this situation. But, says the young man, you know what? I mean, you know, she's not all bad. She has not stopped working since she got here, one short break, and she's just been going hard. And straight away, Boaz gets in there himself. Like she got into the work. Boaz inserts himself into the situation and makes sure that he, she is taken care, of, taken care of. And he says to her, do you notice the word that he uses here? Verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. There's a fatherly care here for her. That's kind of absent from the motherly care that Naomi, you feel like, could have offered her. And he says to her, you're safe here. Why? Well, like I've given explicit instructions to make sure that you're safe. Stay here. Here is a good place to be. I, I, I've got talked to the young, young guys. They are not going to touch you. They'll answer to me, right? And all of a sudden you think, hold on. Maybe it's, it's, the story sounds so rosy and nice and so Teflon of evil just slides right off it. But this guy's actually scared. This guy had to tell his young men to make sure that she was going to be okay and are attacked by them. The, the story is so beautiful and light, but the, the, the reality of the actual culture that's happening within is actually very, very dark. It's a dangerous place for you. Don't be here as a woman alone. Now, he includes her, brings her in here, includes her in lunch. Not in any way. This, this is not a private little lunch where they're off on the, on the side having a romantic thing. He actually sits her with his young girls and then over-blesses her. Hey, guys, I don't just want you to do that. You know that extra thing that none of the other guys really seem to do in their fields and leave the margin? I want you to take some extra stalks out of the profits and just, just chuck them behind. And if she comes up and gets too close and starts taking stuff that you really haven't even... You haven't even really harvested yet. She's just like nicking extra. You know, you don't, don't you humiliate her. Don't, don't, you, don't, don't, don't you sort of c confront her over that. Just let that go. Now, Ruth is uh, just, just, just shocked. She's really shocked. Uh, did, did you notice that? Verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Now, my question to you is, as you read that, and I'm just really reflecting myself, um, did, were you shocked, or were you like, well, he's just being a nice guy. It's not that weird. Well, like, she's the one who's reading the culture right. In this day and age, that, that, is, really, that is really strange. First of all, the, 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 no the xenophobia would have been really normal to be, to be really racist, particularly against the Moabites, who they'd recently been enslaved to and all sorts. Wow. She's got every right to be surprised. He had every right to be a Pharisee. Holier than thou. He was holier than her. And she is just amazed. Now, one way, to, one way to, to grab and grip onto that for yourself is that when you are amazed and find it hard to believe that Jesus would die for you, 
And half of you is like, well, that's just sort of normal. It's not that weird. But then when you've really, you're really feeling the guilt and the sadness for your sin and, 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 and you sort of have it revealed to you by the Spirit just how far from God you are and how dark your heart is and how dark my heart is, and you find it hard to believe that Jesus would ever die for you, in this, in this shock of Ruth, hear validation for your, for your inability to believe that God would love you. Because yes, actually, it's, it, it, is, it is shocking. It actually doesn't make sense that God would love you. Don't think of that as normal. Don't, don't think of that as, oh, that's just what, like, like I used to, you know, that's just what Jesus do. You know, they're like, mom's making your lunch for, for, for school and you just take your lunch. Jesus is dying crosses for sins. That's just how it works. It's like, no, that's shocking. It's, it is weird for the God of the universe to die for something he made. I'm not going to die for the Lego thing that I make. If you feel too dirty and you think, wow, why on earth would Jesus have taken my mark on himself? That seems too good to be true. A, you're right. And yet, like Boaz, it's actually true that he did. It is both A, shocking, and B, so thoroughly true. And not only did he actually die to take away your shame and your sin, as Boaz protected her from shame in his yard, he then's like, there's like extra grains. He's like, yeah, and, I, and I'll give you some more. Jesus will forgive and accept and even bless you. That is the gospel. And it's a, a picture here in this old story of it. Now, why did Boaz, why did Boaz do it? I mean, to, to answer Ruth's question, why? Well, it's actually because Boaz notices and rewards character. We don't know if Ruth was good looking or not. She probably wasn't to Boaz's tastes because she's very different racially from him and there's sort of like negative connotations in his culture of that race. Esther, we know from other stories, she was very pretty, but Ruth, there's no description. And she's not of his generation even. But he says, Do you, I have heard of what you've done. I've heard of the way you act. I've heard of your love. I've heard of your kindness. I've heard of your loyalty to your mother-in-law. And that should be honored. It's just right. He sees the important thing. He sees what matters in action, not just intention. She's there in the morning, getting up early. She's there at the end of the day. By the time you get to the end of the day, it's evening already when she finishes gleaning, and then she goes home. No, then she goes to the threshing floor and starts beating, the, beating it to, to turn it into something useful. She doesn't stop just because it's the end of the day. She stops when the job's done. It is a kissing book, but this is not Boaz smitten by young Ruth, showering gifts on a crush. This is the manly... Giborim, the, 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 the mighty man Boaz. He loves God and he cares about Naomi, his relative. And he wants to honor the good character that produces good actions. That means that she's not going hungry. And then he's going to sacrifice to make sure that it stays that way. Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them. And Boaz knew. He could see with his own eyes the kindness that was right in God's eyes. Now Ruth has a great day. Long day. She must have been wrecked. But she comes home, this ether of, of flour, just, uh, and, and it's, it's sort of the amount, that, the amount to the point where when she gets home, her mother-in-law sees what she's gleaned, and then she also grabs, oh, by the way, yeah, I've got this. Oh, he, let, he gave me the leftovers from lunch too. And her mother-in-law says to her, what? <laughs> okay, where did you glean today? Whose eye did you catch? Because it's obvious that it must have been 
<laughs> the blessing that she's bringing home. And she said, well, plus some bloke named Boaz. And, and you just see this, this change in Naomi. This, like, like, it's like, it's like it snaps Naomi back into the faith of her youth. And, and the words of her youth, sort of the training of her tongue come out. And she says, uh, where is it? Where are you? May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's not the Naomi of a chapter ago. Remember? The Lord has, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. He has made my life bitter. And even though she was sort of in a one way right both times, the God is sovereign over all things and he was working a plan and purpose out from that point. She's far more right here, isn't she? Because the character of God, rather than being the stingy, righteous Pharisee when you break the rules, when you do the wrong thing, you can come back and expect a scolding, is this generosity like Boaz. And Naomi says, hey, look, this guy, he's a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. Now, I'm not going to, we're going to do that next week, touch on what that is, because that's a whole fun thing. But there's this just great joy, this movement in her heart. And hope for her, because, um, are there any Pride and Prejudice fans here? All right. Um, love to hate Mrs. Bennett. You know, she's always trying to, get her, trying to get her daughters married off and making a complete sort of buffoon of herself in doing so. Really hyper, hyper way too involved, right? Yeah, Naomi goes full Mrs. Bennett mode. She's, because, and because cause you can see the selfishness in Mrs. Bennett. It's about her and her reputation. And here, Naomi, it's actually, Naomi, here, she's like, actually, you should stay close to him. You see, there's, there's, there's this, yes, there's this joy and goodness and praising of God in it, but there's a certain mercenary quality about the way that she speaks from here. He's a redeemer. And what will a redeemer do? Restore her line. It, it, we'll get into the details next week, but it's actually the hope for her that she's gotten excited about here. And so all of a sudden, Naomi cares about where Ruth goes. Oh, you'll have to stay with Boaz. Otherwise, you might get assaulted by one of the young men in the field. Oh, my goodness. That would, you definitely, definitely have to go to Boaz. And like, hold on. If you thought that could happen, why didn't you say so this morning? You sent me out for a full day. Why didn't you mention anything this morning? There's, there's, there's mixtures in the home, isn't there? And God's working with her through the story. But Ruth goes along with a plan. She says, well, look, Boaz said I could come back like all, every day until the end of harvest. She's like, yep, definitely, yep. And so she does. It's a beautiful thing. Now, just a couple little bits and pieces. I encourage you just imbibe, read, mull over, just, just, just enjoy the, the savour and the taste of all of the words of this story. They all, they all, every, every word has a, a purpose to it and a meaning. Um, but there's just a couple of things here that, that is worth picking out for us, having picked up particularly on the gospel generosity of God to the undeserving, to the outsider, as sounds like it's going to be the big emphasis of the, um, of the equip conference. Um, there's a couple of other things for us here. The first one is, where is your attention? Where is your attention? Um, Boaz, when he rocks up, he's attuned to the, to the spaces that are around him and sees what's going on and sees the needs. He reads the room. Now, I, I often find that I'm sort of so caught up in my own stuff, and this is sort of that margin busyness thing, that I'm, I'm off in my own head and perhaps when I walk into a room, I don't actually stop and attend to and attune to what's going on in the room. My attention can be here, inward. Now, there's two things that we notice from attention here. One is that as Boaz looks up and looks out onto the needs of others, 
which is a very uh, Philippians thing to do, Philippians 2, look for the needs of others, not just yourself, just like Jesus did. But also in Philippians, there's this other kind of attention where Boaz looks for the good and celebrates it and draws attention to it and honours it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I mean, as you read through these bits um, of, of Boaz, um, he, he says, uh, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, as if there's like just boundless things. How you left your father and mother in your native land. You had to leave. He's, he recognizes the sacrifice and came to a people you didn't know before. He recognizes the, the, the difficulty of coming to a strange place. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And, and he, he encourages her and he sees the good and attends to the beautiful things that he sees. And I, I wonder if maybe um, it might be a, an encouraging thing for you as you're here at church this evening. Just look around and attend to what you see. And pay attention to the love in the room, the little ways people are caring for each other's kids or, or, or looking out for each other. The way that, um, the way that, that we, we have some people rocking up when they're probably too sick to be here, but they're still here because they love us and they want to be with us and celebrate those beautiful things. Last one. There is something that keeps this book light against the darkness. That makes it seem, as you read through it, like it's just this magical, beautiful, warm, all-good storybook. But if you've got eyes to see, you're like, hold on, wow, the, 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 it's like that's hovering over this pit of black. What keeps this book PG? Because it's almost the opposite of Judges, though it's set in the same time as Judges. It's, it's Fantastic Mr. Fox versus Sin City. And the answer is... Well, yes, it's, you think, well, it's, it's the law of God. Like the law of God was designed to, 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 to build a system where everyone, there'd be no poor. And yet what we notice is actually it's a, the law of God is there and yet the, 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 the country is the kind of place where actually women, women can't be alone because you know what's going to happen to them. What a horrible, horrible thing. And what a horrible thing that, that, that the men of this place would would uh, think that, th- that the power that they have, the, the impunity that they have, would mean that they can take what they should want to take, rather than love and bless and honour and respect and serve. You see, the thing is, the difficulty is, is that what keeps this book PG rather than MA is actually character. It's, it's the heart of the people who love God. Rules alone are not enough. You can always find a way to be a jerk, no matter how well you follow the rules. Pharisees were great at it. And Boaz refused to be one of them. He saw the word of God and used it for the purpose that it was for, which was to love other people. Not to justify himself, not to try and demonstrate his goodness, but to generously sacrifice things that he had to serve and to bless. A whole bunch of different things, leaving some margin. Where our attention goes, whether, we, whether our attention is up to the places that we're in, and whether our attention is to the good and the beautiful, and then whether in our heart we want to run to rules or whether we're going to use whatever we have in order to bless and to love.
because even when we didn't deserve it, when we were outsiders like Ruth, that's what our Jesus, the guy we claim to follow, did for us. So let's praise him now. We'll praise him in song in a minute, and then uh, we'll praise him in prayer just first. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this portrait of light shining amongst darkness, because no story starting within the time of the judges really ends well, but this one does. And God, our world can feel kind of a bit like a, a, a backdrop of black at times, whether we're looking at overseas conflicts or whether we're looking at the way that uh, people's hearts and minds are breaking here at home. But Father, your gospel, your incredibly powerful love for those even who are in and among the blackness, and for even like Naomi, drawing them slowly by slowly out of that and back into the light, is powerful. It's what you do. It's what you are doing. And so, Father, yes, help us to, to, to see these ideal, amazing figures like, like Boaz and Ruth, to work hard like, like Ruth, to, to um, uh, leave margin inefficiently, um, trusting in you to make up the difference like Boaz, to, to, to see others' needs and to see the good in people and all of these things, Lord, which you, you, uh, you encourage us to do. But, Father, we just want to ask at the, at the end of the day, that you would help us to trust that you are so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that you cannot do, and that whatever darkness we see in this world, we can have comfort that the story ends like Ruth in this beautiful, joyful PG, because the darkness will not overcome your light. Father, help us like Boaz to trust in that, and so live in ways that demonstrate it. In Jesus' name, amen.